Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. A young man is visited by aliens and promised an amazing future. But what happens if it doesn't come true? And then we meet a man who believes that the government is out to get him. That he's being gang-stalked. That people in the highest levels of government are using secret technology to try to kill him. What makes him different than any of the other lunatics we've covered with this delusion? He was the very first one to have them. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of cool stuff to cover today. So, first off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter. Rolling into Dead Rabbit Command right now with a little blanket rolling around. It's Colin A. Raymond. Everyone give a round of applause to Colin A. Raymond. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You can go ahead and stand up now. <laughs> you can stand up. Colin, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Colin, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to take a nice aerial journey from DRC. You didn't know You didn't know there was an acronym for it? We are headed out to Cook Inlet, Alaska. Brrr. Colin is flying us through the friendly skies towards the north. Unless you live in Alaska, then it's already around the corner and you're going to meet us there. In September of 1976, in Cook Inlet, Alaska, there was a young boy sitting at home. He's whistling to himself. Wait, never mind. I looked a sentence down on my notes. In Cook Inlet, in September 1976, in Cook Inlet, Alaska, there's a young boy. Is totally different than him sitting in his room whistling. He was walking out of a semi-solid bog. I don't know what that is. It does not explain why he's there. It would have made far more sense if he was whistling in his bedroom. I don't know what a semi-solid bog is. I'm assuming it's just a swamp that you don't immediately sink in. Anyways, that exists in Alaska. It, listen, if you, if you guys don't buy the fact that that's a real thing, the rest of the story is even more fantabulous. Walking out of a semi-solid bog is David E. Kaywood. He's a 13-year-old boy. He's walking out of this thing that may or may not exist in Alaska. Anyways, or what he was doing there, I don't know. He was, he was burying a couple bodies. He's like, not only will no one find you for 500 years, but when they do, you'll be perfectly preserved. I love, I love my evidence to be long-lasting and never decaying. David E. Kaywood is walking out of the semi-solid bog, and he sees... Two UFOs hovering over the area. He thought the whole story was just going to be about how weird bogs are. No. He sees two UFOs hovering over the area, and he's like, Golly, look at them UFOs. I wonder if they saw me murder those people. And then, a blue beam of light flashes down from one of the UFOs. And and then a man walks out of the beam. And David is looking at this man, and the man's walking out of the beam. 
It's David as an adult. David sees himself as an adult walking out of the beam. A much older, much more muscular David. This dude's been hitting the gym, been in the space gym. Those anti-gravity weights are all the rage in space. Even though they're anti-gravity, they're super easy to lift up. Aliens are like, look at how strong I am. Adult David walks up to little David. And he's look, he looks over the bog and he's like, they'll never find those bodies. I'm from the future to let you know your crimes will be undiscovered. And then, actually, what he actually said was, don't be afraid, little David. And he began to talk to little David. He started to tell him a little bit about the future. Because this is, it's not a clone. This is David E. Kaywood from the future. He tells little David that soon he will, quote, be involved in the greatest adventure of his life. He says, someday you're going to help many, many people. One day when the time is right, you will wake up little David. You will see the world clearly for the first time. I just want you to know that you are loved. You are loved by many, many people. And with that, Big David turns around, walks back under the beam of light, teleports aboard. UFOs leave the area. David E. Kaywood went on to write a book called Alien Alley, where he talks about his experiences. And he started, this was just the beginning. He starts getting beamed aboard ships regularly. He's like walking home from school. He's like, oh man, I hope a ship beams me aboard. My legs are tired. And sure enough, UFO beams aboard. He goes through the normal rigmarole that we see with abductees, but he doesn't like the term abductee. He prefers the term experiencer. Because he sees it as totally consensual that he's getting kidnapped by these aliens. So he writes this book called Alien Alley about his experiences. And like I said, it's the normal stuff. He's meeting greys. He has a hybrid child named Shannon. This little girl, Shannon, somewhere up in the space. That's a dead that's a deadbeat dad for you, right? You have a baby and you're like, oh, I'll take custody of it every every ninth lifetime. You just fly around in space for a while. This is an interesting story. It's super run-of-the-mill, right? Nothing, I mean, I guess he did meet a future version of himself that we don't normally see that in abductee or experiencer stories. But overall, it's just kind of, he's visiting gray aliens, have the hybrid child stuff. It's pretty basic. The reason why I wanted to cover this was for a couple of reasons. One, there's this weird thing. We see people who have abduction experiences do this. A lot of times they'll draw pictures of themselves in the UFO. <laughs> David E. Kaywood is listening to this. He knows exactly what I'm getting to. He's like, really? That's what you're going to focus in on? He draws pictures of himself aboard these UFOs. There's a lot of these pictures, and they're, like, drawn with crowns. Apparently, I can't say that word correctly, because the other day I told someone there was a box of crowns in the corner, and they're like, what are you talking about? Crowns. They're color. They're like a little kid coloring. Now I'm a terrible artist, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to art shame anyone. I can't draw nothing, but even though I can't draw anything, I would not use crayons to draw because it makes it look like a kid's drawing. So if I'm going to be like, officer, you won't believe what happened. And I got abducted by aliens and here's a drawing. And it's like a picture. It's like a picture of a couple stick people, but it's done with like crayons. It, 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 it automatically makes it look childlike. I'd get a pencil or something like that. So I will I will art shame you for that. Secondly, the drawings are the drawings are hilarious because it's always like a picture of a gray alien, how you would imagine a gray alien to be like skinny little arms, big head. He draws a picture of his daughter with a, a kind of a busted up looking head because she is ha- she is half alien. She's not going to win any beauty pageants, right? And then she's got like little alien arms. He draws himself su- he draws himself super detailed. 
He draws himself super detailed, huge muscular body. There's one drawing where he's naked and it's just his bubble butt. <laughs> like there's a bunch of gray aliens standing around naked David E. K. would have like this perfectly sculpted giant bubble butt on him. Like everything, <laughs> like there's alien control panels in the background, out of this world technology that scientists would love to see. He's like just drawing little dots. Do do do. I don't know. I don't know what that looked like. But check out my abs. Check check out my calves. It's hilarious. I love it. Thank you, thank you, David. <laughs> that was so great. He draws himself in such great detail. The other reason why I wanted to cover this story because I can't really just keep talking about drawings on podcasts. The other reason why I wanted to cover this story is. You don't know who David E. K. Wood is. Some of you guys may know who he is. I had no idea who he who he was until I saw this story. And I found the story on Think About It Docs.com, which catalogs every UFO sighting. I mean, it is a great resource. Think about it, docs.com is one of the best ongoing resources we found on the show. If you're a fan of UFOs, check out that website. It's phenomenal. But that's where I found this on, and it was cataloged with every single thing else. I never heard of this guy. Now, I'm not saying that I'm the end-all, be-all of all paranormal UFO knowledge, because I'm not. I'm learning stuff. The stuff I cover on the show, I'm really hearing most of it for the first time. But not everyone gets a message that they're going to be great. That they're going to change the world. That he's going to help all of these people. In the end of the day, he's, I'm sure he's a lovely dude, right? I'm sure, According to his drawings, he's quite handsome. But I'm sure personality-wise, I'm sure he's a pretty nice guy. I'm sure he's pretty chill. But what if a future you showed up and told you you're going to go on this greatest adventure and you, I don't want to feel like I'm knocking the guy because I'm not, but the future you comes back and tells you you're going to go on the greatest adventure and you publish a book, which anyone can do that. You know, Amazon self-publishing, I actually recommend if you're a writer, just publish your own book. It's very, very easy. You can, you can do that. And that's cool. I'm not knocking being a published author, but is that really the greatest adventure of your life? I don't know, man. Like, and being told you're—I mean, think about the disappointment you would have if the future you told you you're, you're going to do all this great stuff, and in the end, you publish a book, it sells a couple copies, gets covered on a podcast, and that's kind of it. Like, I—that's I, what I think is interesting. Like, maybe the greatest adventure is still ahead of him. He's—I think he's around my age, honestly. This story took place... Well, he was 13... I can figure this out. He was 13 in 1976, so he's 13 years older than me. He would be 57. So he still has a long life ahead of him, but he, he's still waiting to wake up. He's still waiting for everything to make sense, or has that already happened? Like, if the future me came to me tomorrow and said, dude, things are going to be so amazing for you, you're going to go on this greatest adventure, you're going to like help all these people, and then 10 years from now... I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm still just kind of sitting here waiting for that to happen. Like, did he lie to him? Was he, like, hyping it up? Was it really not Was it not the greatest adventure? It was just an okay adventure? Like, how would that affect your psyche? It would be one thing. See, here's the thing. It would be one thing if Shirley MacLaine was a little girl walking around a semi-solid bog. An adult Shirley MacLaine showed up and goes, you're going to revolutionize like reincarnation beliefs for Americans for the 80s. Because she's a huge figure in that. You're going to have this huge career. Like someone that we can look back on and go, whoa, that was transformative for her. So that would make sense. We would see that transformative journey. With David E. K. Wood, I'm sure he's a great dude. But has that ha- will it happen? Has it already happened and it wasn't as big as he thought? Like how... 
How disappointing it would have been to have your future self come out of a UFO, tell you something great was going to happen, and in the end, it was just okay. Or does it mean that, again, like I, maybe something great wasn't going to happen, but he took a misstep? I don't know. Because publishing a book, that's cool. I'm not trying, I, I don't want this to come across that I'm knocking the dude. Like, publishing a book is good, but that's not the greatest adventure of your life. So, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I, I, you're like, Jason, I think, I think you're focused. I think you're focused more on what the guy said versus the fact that, that you said he met his future self. He's friends with a bunch of aliens. He has a hybrid daughter. It's like all this other stuff. I'm like, it's because I research that stuff all the time. I come across, that seems, that might be it, actually. Now that I think about it. Like, to me, that seems very banal. Which, which should show that I'm getting a little jaded. That someone could be like, dude, I have a hybrid child in Alpha Centauri. And I'm like, whoop-de-doo, who cares about that? David E. Kaywood has a hybrid child. I'm all walking away. They're like, don't you want to hear more? I'm like, no. No, I don't want to hear anything. Maybe I'm just getting jaded. David E. Kaywood, I hope, I hope you never skip a leg day. I hope you're still working out. And if you haven't had the greatest adventure of your life yet, I hope it is coming soon. That sounded a little menacing, Colin. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Cook Inlet, Alaska. We are headed out to London. And Colin, go ahead and hit that time travel button. We're headed back to the early 1790s. Colin is flying us through the time vortex. It's London, it's the early 1790s, we're wearing our top hats and our nice little outfits, we're walking around, we're dressed to the nines. In London, in the 1790s, there was a dude named James Tilly Matthews. He was a London tea broker, so he would buy tea and sell tea, apparently. <laughs> all the stuff, all the research I do on UFOs, I wasn't bothered to look at what that is. I think it's like a stockbroker, but he just does tea, so he's like, sell that tea, I'm buying tea, and he has a bunch of tea. But he also wants to do something else. You can only have so much tea. He's trying to make sure that France and England don't go to war. Because there was a period of time, there's basically like a thousand years of world history, where that was constantly happening. And it wasn't just him. There was a bunch of other people who didn't want to do it. But he didn't want them to go to war. So he goes to France. This guy, I'm making it sound like this guy just walking down the street yelling at people, sell tea, buy tea. He had money. Like, he was influential. He's able to go to France and talk to people over there. He goes to France, and he's trying to talk to the leaders over there, being like, let's not, let's not have any more wars with England. We're doing this all the time. And while he's over there, he's making moves. He's having these meetings. It's a bad time to be in France because people's heads are starting to get chopped off. They're pulling leaders out of their residences, chopping their heads off. And James is visiting these people. James is going, oh, I'm going to go talk to this dude over here. And he sees a bunch of guys rushing, pull that dude out and chop his head off. He's like, oh, I think that meeting's been postponed. I'll go talk to someone else. But he's a, he's a guy from England in France meeting with all these famous people. He's considered a double agent. So they arrest him and they're going to chop his head off. And he's absolutely terrified of getting his head chopped off. He's going crazy in his cell. Even back then, it's 1796, and the French government's looking at this guy, and he's obviously insane. So they go, we're not going to chop his head off. Like, he's probably too insane to be a double agent. He's probably too insane to have been sent here by England to rile us up. They ship him back to London. Now, a normal person would have just disappeared in the history books at this point. They escaped getting their head chopped off in France. I'm going to keep a low profile and just kind of go on with my life. But James Tilly Matthews, after he's returned to London, 
begins to publicly accuse British government officials of trying to kill him. He is saying that there's this conspiracy against him. They're all after him. He would go and interrupt political events. There was a debate at the House of Commons. He busts through the doors and starts accusing everyone of trying to murder him. Nobody knows who this dude is. And he begins saying, you guys are trying to kill me. He gets arrested, thrown in a British jail, but he's nuts. They're talking to him and they go, listen, this guy is absolutely loony. How humane is it to have him in this jail cell? They look at his arrest record. They go, he just got shipped out of France for being insane. Now he's here. But they just can't keep playing volleyball with this dude and sending him back to France. On January 28th, 1797, James Tilly Matthews is sent to Bedlam Hospital, a notorious mental institution in London. It's funny, I, there, this is where he should be. <laughs> this is, he needed to be in a mental hospital. But this hospital has a horrible reputation for being quite brutal. But at the time, you're thinking he doesn't belong in jail with the criminals. He doesn't deserve getting his head chopped off either. So let's put him in this mental hospital. It's not our problem. But it's such a just a bad place to be as well. But out of all those places, it's where he needed to be, where there are doctors who could treat him. But the problem is nobody knows what's wrong. He's in there from 1797 till 1810. And nobody can tell what's wrong with this guy. They can tell that something's not right, but they can't figure out exactly what it is. And you have a medical writer who worked at Bedlam Hospital. He's writing a book about James. The author's name is John Hoslam. He's writing this book. He's interviewing James. He's taking in everything this guy is spitting out. He writes a book called Illustrations of Madness. And the point of the book is to say, is James Tilly Matthews actually insane? Because you have a, you have different levels of insanity. We keep using that word. It's kind of a catch-all thing. You have people with dementia, with delirium, who they you can't even make sense of what they're talking about. That is like old-timey insaneness, frothing out the mouth. You have rabies. You have syphilis. You have some sort of disease that's rotted holes through your brain. Madness. You're catatonic. You're a stark, raving lunatic. James Telly Matthews was not that. He would burst out in public and accuse people of trying to murder him. But then he could go about his business. He could make tea deals. He could live among the population. He could travel to France and try to negotiate with people. But he was saying things that people knew were not true. He wasn't a lunatic. So what is he? They keep saying he's insane, he's insane, because they can figure out something's wrong with him. But what is he? Illustrations of Madness is a book written in 1810 to determine, is James Tilly Matthews actually insane? What is going on here? This book goes over all of the beliefs that James Tilly Matthews had. To this day, Illustrations of Madness, not only is it a classic medical text, not only is it the very first full study of a single psychiatric patient, it is considered the very first description of paranoid schizophrenia. Nobody knew what paranoid schizophrenia was until 1810. And James Tilly Matthews was the first person to be identified to have paranoid schizophrenia. This is fascinating because we've covered stories like this today. When we're talking about gang stalking, when we're talking about these paranoid beliefs, 
Imagine being the first person to believe in these things. This is so interesting. James Tilly Matthews would be lucid most of the time. Like a lot of people who believe in gang stalking. They're not just speaking gibberish. But their beliefs are untrue. He believed there was a thing called the heirloom gang. Not like heirloom, like your grandma's giving you something. Air as in the sky. Loom as something to weave with. And they used the heirloom to shoot rays out. Invisible beams that would attack people. Now we have that. Dude, that is so... Because people talk about that today with 5G. People talk about that now with shedding stuff from the COVID vaccine. Like invisible things floating around you. It used to be the Cold War weapons. It used to be the Russians were beaming stuff into your teeth. Or U.S. satellites. But none of that existed back then. I don't even think vaccines existed back then. Taking known technology, the loom, very, very common thing, and associating a sci-fi element to it. It's not just a loom, it's an heirloom that's shooting beams out, that's giving you buzzes and pulses in your skin. Fascinating, because today when you talk to gang stalkers, we've covered tons of stories like this. They feel the beams and the pulses and the things behind their eyes, and they're, they have to associate it with something. The man walking down the street with the dog, and when it barks, it's releasing some sort of infrared beam into his skull. The Heirloom Gang. It was a group of commoners, criminals, gang members, spies is what they were. When he was walking down the street, they would give each other signals, and he would realize they were gang-stalking him. He said the heirloom had this thing it would, quote, lobster crack him. It's a term he came up with. The feeling under his skin he called the lobster crack. And they would use, the heirloom gang would use this heirloom to make his blood stop flowing. It would also give him stomach issues and could inject fluids directly into his brain. So he's having these physiological, or maybe he's not, maybe the physiological things are made up as well, but he could simply be having a, a buzz, a pulse in him, and he creates this story behind it. He believed that there were heirlooms stationed all over London. And not only was he under attack, but government figures were also under attack. It's interesting when you look at the story of Kyle Odom which most famously believed that he was, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I read his manifesto, but he had been raped by reptilian aliens. And so he confronted one of the people who he thought was a reptilian alien. It was a local minister, and he shot him several times in the head with a handgun. And the minister survived. He's actually a member of a Senate now or something like that, state Senate, I think. But what gets lost in that story, that, that one's real. I haven't covered that on the show because it's so popular, but a detail that gets lost in that story was that Kyle Odom also believed President Obama was raped by reptilians. And he tried getting word to President Obama that we're in on this together. Like, you and me, bro, we can take down these reptilians. Same thing going here. James Tilly Matthew believes not only is he being targeted by the heirloom gang, but other politicians are as well. So it's not just him. He's part of a broader group of resistance fighters against this heirloom gang. So that is why he's trying to meet with politicians. He knows the truth. He can help them overcome the bad guys. 
again, when someone's saying this, like nowadays when someone says, like when I can immediately read this and go, oh, that's just like Kyle Odom believing that with President Obama. Back then, people are like, what are you talking about? None of this is making any sense. This guy would easily be diagnosed today for having paranoid schizophrenia, but back then it had never been discovered yet. The heirloom gang was trying to take over the country, possibly the world. They had people all the way up the chain. They were attacking members of the military. They had already taken over parts of the military. This was an existential threat to the government, if not the world. He was locked in Bedlam until he died in 1815. So the book came out in 1810. He was there for another five years. But in 1814, one year before he died, all of the delusions went away. Stopped believing in the heirloom gang. Stopped believing all of this nonsense. He just decided to stay in Bedlam. He really had nowhere else to go at that point. Remember, he'd been locked up. He had been in and out of jail in France and in England, and then he'd been locked in Bedlam at this point for about 17 years. So he's like, I'm just going to stay here. (laughs) I mean, he's just like, what, I'm done. I'll probably end up dying next year. They're like, how do you know that? He's like, it's just a hunch. He just stayed there. And around the same time, they were doing a competition. They, they, the government knew that Bedlam wasn't working out. They knew it was a really, really physically poorly designed mental institution. It, it, it looked super scary. It was super scary. They actually had a public competition to try to redesign Bedlam. And James Tilly Matthews won. I mean, he kind of knew the place inside and out. He'd been there for 17 years. He submitted a 46-page booklet of designs. And he won the contest. And they actually took some of those designs and used them to improve Bedlam. And while Hoslam was writing his book about James Tilly Matthews, James Tilly Matthews was writing a book about Hoslam and how Bedlam should be reformed. And after... James Tilly Matthews died because this book was a huge hit in the medical community. They'd never seen anything like it. So he had become a known figure at this time. And after he passed away, his book on how to reform Bedlam, along with his physical designs to improve Bedlam, were both put into effect. And Hoslam lost his job, actually, after it, because they had read all this stuff that was going wrong with Bedlam from James Tilly Matthews. And since Hoslam had kind of made him popular... They read all this other stuff and he was let go, along with other people as well. It wasn't all Hoslam's fault, but it's a terrifying story to me. I mean, it ended up good for James Tilly Matthews. Like, I mean, he did do 17 years in Bedlam, but in the end, you know, he was cured. They went away. He became lucid again. He realized what he thought was wrong. But imagine being the first person to suffer from a mental illness. How terrifying that must be. There's already such issues with chaos, mental chaos, and stuff not making sense, and your loved ones not believing you. Why aren't they believing me? Why can't they see the truth? But that person can then be put in front of a couple doctors, and they can observe them and take notes and say, this is what they have. This is the mental illness they have. These are the treatments available. But what if you're the first one to have that mental illness? Now, James Tilly Matthews in history probably wasn't the first person to have paranoid schizophrenia. But he was the first one identified. You had probably people in farm towns, in villages, come down with this. Accuse the local mayor of trying to poison the water supply. Thinking that the cows are following them and they have the evil eye installed. 
and a witch is trying to take over the town, those people were probably considered cursed, probably killed, or just locked up, or exiled out of the village. But James Tilly Matthews was the first person in modern society that they could identify who had this. Who knows how many other, this is going to sound weird, but who knows how many other extremely rare mental illnesses are out there in the world. They pop up once every hundred years. Once every thousand years, they're so rare. But you get stricken with one of these things. And you can't be treated for it. Your delusions are unrecognizable to any medical professional. They can't figure out what causes them. They can't figure out where they're coming from. They can't figure out how to treat it. All they can do is lock you up, keep you under observation, because they don't know how it progresses. They don't know if you're going to get violent. They don't know if you're going to hurt yourself or other people. You become a medical freak to be studied, examined, and even then they can't figure out what's wrong with you. Somebody always has to be the unfortunate first. Whether it's a physical illness like AIDS, doctors just stood around and they go, I don't know what's killing this young man. Or it's a mental disease, like paranoid schizophrenia. But who knows what else is out there? Who knows what other diseases are just waiting to be unlocked and unleashed on humanity? The world is resilient. And eventually, they'll find a cure. But what happens if you're the first person to get it? You're the first person to be locked in an isolation ward as doctors stand around you furiously writing notes. We all think our lives will end up great. We all think we are important people. But what if your mark on world history is to be the first human struck down with a terrible, unknown disease. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.